Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, May 5th. Before we get to another edition of Technique Tuesday, as well as me running through the day's news from the professional tennis world, I have to let all of you know that these podcasts are made possible by our friends at MidwestSports.com. And for me, Being a tennis player from the Midwest, this partnership obviously means that much more. It proves that tennis's roots in the Midwest are strong. And all of you already know that, of course, as well, because for more than 20 years, Midwest Sports has served as one of the world's premier tennis equipment suppliers. They offer a comprehensive selection of fast-shipping tennis supplies that few retailers can match and also have one of the largest in-stock inventories of tennis equipment online with tens of thousands of products available for shipping shipping to your home. They value innovation and have personally tailored their products to highlight your skills on the court. And what does that mean? That means, let's say you like to use Babolat. Maybe you're a fan of Head, Wilson, Yonix, whatever it may be that you use racket-wise. I promise you they carry it. And even more importantly, their well-trained staff are intimately familiar with all of the tennis equipment they carry and can help you find that perfect tennis racket, that perfect tennis shoe, or that perfect tennis clothing that is sure to put your game ahead of the competition. Their selections of tennis equipment are consistently first to market, and they pride themselves in stopping stocking their tennis warehouse with the newest products at the lowest prices. So how can you find gear for yourself at Midwest Sports? It's easy. You go to MidwestSports.com. You're going to find those shoes, that racket, the string, whatever it may be that you need on their website. You're going to click to order it, and you're going to use our promo code CR15. Get 15% off your order. Save a little money in your pocket. If your order exceeds $75, you'll get free two-day shipping as well. So you win a little bit, and that gear is going to get to you fast faster than ever. So be sure to go to MidwestSports.com. Use our promo code CR15. We are eternally grateful for their support of us here at Crack Rackets. So the least we can ask you to do is go to their website and use our promo code so that they know who sent you there. MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. Now, With that being said, let's get to today's news because, again, we continue to monitor a bunch of storylines. There are many events in flux right now. We don't know when they're going to be played. We don't know if they're going to be played. Uh, But certainly exhibition-style events, the Tennis uh, Point Exhibition Series on Tennis Channel this past weekend. There's been stuff going on on WatchESPN.com. There's new events popping up here and there, the MyUTR event that starts this weekend. Uh, But one thing that we continue to— 
you know, monitor and something we've talked about. Is there a chance that maybe this could come back before the ATP and WTA tours come back? Is world team tennis and various players across the country, the most notable is when John Millman suggested it in Australia that regionally they do something equivalent to world team tennis in the meantime. But world team tennis, because it's a domestic sport, because all of the matches happen in one country, because all of the players ideally could be, you know, quarantined in one area, they could minimize it to play one location do the various restrictions that we're seeing at other events or various precautions to ensure that people stay safe and healthy. Uh, We thought that there might be a chance that they can still start their season on time. I believe that start date is around July 13th, July 12th, excuse me. And they came out with a statement today and we had World Team Tennis CEO Carlos Silva on our podcast about a month ago. He said then that the date for the statement looked for one on May 4th. They held true to their word. It read, World Team Tennis has made the decision that due to the coronavirus outbreak, it would be inappropriate for players, staff, and fans to travel between nine host cities. It will now hold the three-week competition in one city location to be determined. The league will follow all CDC and state guidelines as safety is our top priority and will announce the host city in the weeks ahead. That's the abbreviated statement. I, you know, I don't need to read you the full statement, but they talk about what other sports are doing and how they are trying to adapt the league as well. And again, uh, I will read this quote. While we, meaning the World Team Tennis Organization, remain hopeful that the WTT season will begin on July 12th as originally scheduled. We have concluded that it is not possible for players, staff, and fans to complete complete the necessary air travel to and from our nine host cities. Safety for all involved remains at the forefront of our decision-making. Therefore, the World Team season in its normal format will not take place this year. However, We are developing a new plan to conduct the 2020 season in one venue in one city. We are very excited about this prospect and believe that this will be a unique way to allow our athletes the opportunity to compete for the 2020 WTT King Trophy and this year's $1 million prize. And again, what does that tell you? I think this is something we all could have expected, that to think any sports league is going to come back and play things as if everything was the same as it was pre-pandemic, that was never going to be a possibility. But they are exploring the other possibilities, the idea, because team rosters really aren't that big at their biggest. There's, you know, six to ten people, so there are nine teams, six to ten people across those nine teams. You know, again, you're looking at less than 60 people, really, uh, less than 60, excuse me, less than 100 people in total player-wise in a maximum capacity. Of course, you know, does that mean there will be no officials and players will be calling their own lines, the various precautions? We've seen that sort of thing at different events already. Uh, there's a way... Where where you can, you know, book up one hotel, secure one venue, and just ensure that it's just world team tennis members, just potentially, you know, maybe you have to ask these athletes to sacrifice a month away from their families. And I don't know if that's something that all of these athletes are willing to do, but you could see a scenario where you could contain, you know, something of this size. It's not a grand slam where there's, you know, hundred not, you know, not only the revenue that grand slams generate from gate receipts, which we talked about yesterday, why uh, those gate receipts and they're not being fan or, you know, the importance of those gate receipts to events means events may not happen without fans. But for world team tennis, they're locked in on the million dollar prize money that's going to be available regardless of this season's format and so now it's just about doing whatever's possible to play and it's so clear from talking to world team tennis ceo carlos silva and i recommend everyone go listen to that conversation we had a couple of weeks back on the mini break 
he will do whatever is necessary to ensure, uh, if possible, that the season is played in, of course, a way that is you know safely monitored and ensures the health of all participants. But they're going to do whatever they can. And so they offered that update today. It's interesting. It shows you, again, where we are right now. And in fact, Jose Morgado uh, showed off, or showed off, he sent out a map of the current status of the countries in Europe and whether tennis has returned there or not. Tennis has not returned to the UK, Ireland, Spain, France, uh, Turkey, whether that's part of Europe or not, we can debate another day. Same thing with Russia, Ukraine, Romania. Uh, All of those countries do not have tennis back. I believe Bulgaria also does not. Croatia, Bosnia, uh, North Macedonia. I don't have to get that specific. The point is some do not. Some do, though. Places like Germany, places like Italy, Portugal, Sweden, Norway, Finland, Belarus, uh, Hungary, you know, Lithuania, Latvia, they are slowly allowing play to begin. Now, there are still restrictions in all of those places, uh, but they are slowly starting to get there. Greece is almost there. Switzerland is almost there. So slowly but surely, as we talked about, why are these exhibition events happening? It's because tennis is becoming possible in more and more places. And again, Jose Morgado's chart you can find on Twitter uh, sort of makes clear, you know, why we see these events popping up where they are. We also see another series coming to fruition. Novak Djokovic announcing today a series that he has for Serbia planned. The quote, I'm aware of the problems faced by many tennis players from our country. He's connected to many, know they're going through a series of difficulties. So he decided to come up with a plan that will help players overcome this period. Six tournaments will be played for seniors. Prize are provided. We will organize junior competitions and if necessary Djokovic will also help with personal means to maintain everything in a good way uh, so they're just clearly trying to resume events in Serbia and it's clear Novak Djokovic is spearheading that campaign as he is obviously the face of all Serbian tennis and evidently he's going to provide financial backing as well so you know to people who are criticizing the big three saying they're not giving enough money to the player relief fund not that this is the same issue but clearly they are providing as many resources as they can to the broader tennis community and to their broader communities as well. So props to Novak Djokovic for that. Uh, also, again, announced the UTR Pro Match Series, which will be on Tennis Channel this weekend, announced their enhanced safety precautions and their implementation of strict screen- screening, cleaning. Sorry, that was a little difficult for me to read. Str- screening. Oh, I screwed it up again. Leave that all in, Westoff. Screening cleaning, and social distancing measures for players, officials, and staff. Here's the overviews. You know, there will be health assessment and temperature checks daily, social distancing of at least six feet, minimum personnel on site, players keep distance on the court, cleaning before, during, and after, separate rest areas, marked in numbers, bald for each players, and no handshakes or physical contact between players. And the question is now, you know, we'll see how this goes, but I think we could see these changes in tennis stay moving forward. If I if we never saw another ball kid on the court, would that shock you? I don't know if it would shock me. Who's going to let their kid volunteer to be a ball boy in an international event at this point or a ball girl? I, I don't know if I would. I certainly wouldn't volunteer to do it right now. Maybe I would at this point just to ensure we had pro tennis back. But, you know, for the safe and safety and health, I, I, I could see ball kids going away for a while. And so it will be interesting to see how, this sort, uh, how these sorts of measures uh, translate, I suppose, to the professional 
national tours moving forward. But, you know, interesting that that's how my UTR is going to conduct themselves. And, you know, speaking of which, the Big Ten announced today organized team activities for all of their athletic programs are suspended through June 1st, 2020, and will be reevaluated at that time. So, you know, again, for college sports, it doesn't look like it's on the path back anytime soon. Someone who is certainly, <clears throat> excuse me, someone who is certainly not on the path back to professional tennis, and in fact, someone we will never see again, Egyptian tennis player, former uh, junior top 10 in the world, Yusuf Hassam, uh, who was banned from professional tennis, excuse me, for life following his conviction on multiple match-fixing and associated corruption charges. The list of 21 breaches are eight cases of match-fixing, six cases of facilitating gambling, two cases of soliciting other players not to use their best efforts, three failures to report corrupt approaches, two failures to cooperate with a tennis integrity unit investigation. So, you know, he got caught doing the crime. He got caught trying to spread the crime amongst others. He didn't uh, report the crimes as they happened, and then when the crimes got investigated, he didn't cooperate. Again, 21 strikes, you're out. One strike, two strike, we'll give you another attempt. 21 strikes, um, you're going to be banned. And so, you know, for him, he had his disciplinary hearing um, in London March 9th to 11th, and they ruled that, you know, he was part of a conspiracy to commit these anti-corruption breaches, and therefore he has been uh, banned for life. And always sad to see that. It's also sad because because his brother was also banned for life. And again, these are the darker sides of professional tennis. You want to know what a union would help do? It would help prevent uh, players from being taken advantage of. It would ensure that there's a you know a system in place to advise these players, just an easy body that they can turn to and say, hey, I keep getting these offers. What can we do? And you know, as gambling becomes illegal in more places, just ensure these players have protections and can ensure that they you know aren't solicited for this sort of thing. Because it does happen. And We all know of different occasions where someone's thrown a match, and I'm not going to call anyone out in particular, but it does happen. And, you know, again, this just is an example of that, I suppose, to the extreme. So he is unfortunately uh, will not be playing professional tennis anytime soon. Another, I suppose, sad note, after 10 seasons coaching his alma mater, Duke associate head coach Jonathan Stokey is resigning after his tenure. You know, again, the former All-American ACC championship MVP uh, helped the Blue Devils reach the Elite Eight twice. It's been a staple in college tennis, and so congratulations to Coach Stokey, and it'll be so interesting to see what he continues to do throughout his career. And I apologize if I butchered your last name, by the way. Shout out to my guy, Danny Belsito. I'm not supposed to give shout outs, but the Wingate Tennis All-American, Academic All-American honoree has been named the SEC Man of the Year and the SEC Player of the Year as well as a scholar-athlete for the second straight year. That's my guy, so shout out to him. And then last but not least, really cool thing going on from our friends at Tennis.com. We are obviously part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, but they're doing underrated week. Uh, They're doing the five most underrated stats in tennis. And look, that's something we've been talking about a lot here at the mini break. We've been going back in time looking at five-year primes, talking about how good some of these players were. You know, Monica Seles might actually be the most underrated player in tennis because you, you could argue her you know first four years are, are you 
don't even have to argue. They just are the best four years from any professional tennis player under the age of 20 ever. And so, you know, again, we always appreciate underrated stats here. Tennis Channel going to be running them all, or Tennis.com, excuse me, going to be running them all week long. So be sure to go check those out. With that in mind, I also want to make sure you all continue to check out our friends at My Tennis HQ. And in fact, right now, you're going to get to check out my conversation with Austin Rapp this week, talking about... uh, Uh, how to improve and hold serve more often four pro tips to do just that right after this commercial break introducing coco golf's signature shoe more than just a tennis shoe it's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette it's designed to enhance speed and power on the court the multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out the coco cg1 empowers you to dominate the game learn more and purchase the coco cg1 at newbalance.com Joining me on today's podcast for another edition of Technique Tuesday, you may know him as a former UCLA All-American, a top 400 ATP doubles player. Of course, we've all grown to know him as one of the co-founders of My Tennis HQ, Austin Rapp. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? Alex, doing good. Thanks for having me back on. It's always a pleasure. Oh, I appreciate that. I sent Carew, I don't know if he showed it to you, a video of me playing tennis, and I think he's ducking me now that I sent it. He's like, oh, man, I can't believe you were that bad. I did see it. I did see it. He uh, he did a little bit of analysis, and, um, you know, because we're doing the virtual lessons right now. He did a little bit of one, so I don't know if he sent it back to you yet, but you'll have to check no, that he, out. He did, actually, and it was yeah. very funny. It was That's just, funny. It, the wider base on the forehand is not – it's not the first time I've heard that. The forehand's ugly. There's no denying that. Um, but I think the funniest part, and I think we're going to release it alongside of this podcast, but on the backhand wing he goes, uh, oh, he's clearly more comfortable on that side. And it's like, yeah, wow, you, you could tell that quickly. You know what you're talking about. And, yeah, I did want to – the reason I bring up the video is because, as you mentioned, can you t- tell our listeners a little bit about what you guys are doing this week, uh, starting up at My Tennis HQ? Yeah, so we started doing um, free virtual lessons for the month of May, uh, where if you subscribe to this site onto our email list, um, and then you send a short clip of you playing and list the stroke that you want to work on, we'll do a little analysis and um, send it back to you and let you know what we think you can work on just based on the video and um, get the kind of conversation started going from there. Yeah, it wasn't just commentary. There were lines that popped up on the screen to point you're here. It should be further up. It should be, again, your feet should be spread out X apart. He complimented mm-hmm. my footwork, which honestly was a peak for me. That was really, <laughs> that that felt good. I mean, that that's a peak. I don't know what that says about my life, but, you know, it was a, it was a good moment. And so, yeah, I h- highly recommend all of you guys go check out everything you guys are doing at My Tennis HQ, but in particular, just to get any feedback on tennis footage is always helpful. So, appreciate Carew taking the time to do that and again everyone go check that out I also know you guys finished your college interview series right that just wrapped up yeah we finished that um for April we did 30 days in April and that was uh that was really good we were happy with how that project came out yeah I was gonna say final thoughts on it what was the coolest thing you learned um to be honest it it came out really good I really genuinely was happy with it uh I liked how 
almost every single person that we interviewed came out with the the team aspect. Everyone loved it. Um, there was no one that came out and said, oh, yeah, you know, I like the pros more because it's individual and I'm competing for myself. Uh, and don't get me wrong, we had a lot of honest answers and, you know, come to college tennis and pros to college tennis. So um, if if that was there, we would have heard it and, and we didn't. So it was cool that uh, everyone kind of had the common denominator that uh, what they took from college tennis was just the team aspect. Whether you thrive in it or or you don't, uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, think of a guy like Michael Redlicky. That last interview started out at Duke, finds his place at Arkansas, really hits his stride. I mean, yeah, there's something out there. There's a team out there for all of those interested mm-hmm. in college tennis, and you're right. That definitely screamed through. Uh, and it was a fantastic series. So, again, compliments to you guys. At, what was it, 25 interviews? We did 30. We did one a day. Um, so that's impro- well done. Yeah, it was cool. Um, it, it was good, and I liked that the people we reached out to uh, they really took it seriously, and a lot of them put a lot of effort into it. Um, you know, if you look at Marcos and Klon, and I mean, man, all of them were good, really. But um, Marcos and Klon, Redlickies was great. Everyone had a different experience. Also, it depends on you know the level that you play. Um, but yeah, really, really happy with it. Did you have to cut any of the answers you like, dude, we, or or no. Cal? We can't we can't publish this. No, not at all. I was actually a little worried with Red Licky. Um, <laughs> he he was uh, sending me his answers, and he was like, "Dude, I'm I'm working on this. This is gonna be awesome." Blah blah blah. And I was like, "Oh man, we might have to censor you." Um, no, but we we said before we uh, started doing them that we wanted to just post them as is. Uh, corrected a few typos, but didn't change any of the wording or any of that so uh just wanted to leave it raw and you know if someone was going to come in and just completely put college tennis on blast which you know we don't obviously we didn't have that experience we don't agree with it but we were going to leave it there uh just make it as make it as raw as possible yeah, no, and again, it was really well done. So to all of our listeners out there, be sure to go check out the college interviews on MyTennisHQ.com. But the reason we have you guys every Tuesday is it's time for our favorite segment this on this day. It's another edition of Technique Tuesday, and we're going to go back to the serving for today's article. We are going to talk about your piece, how to hold serve more often, four pro tips. And I mean, again, we'll get into those tips in a second, but I notice a theme for you. The serve is something you've written about consistently, and you know I'm curious how you know how central is the serve at that that stroke to your game to the success that you've had. Well, my game it's even more essential, I think, than <laughs> other people. But uh, for everyone, it's the most important shot on the court. If you can't serve, you can't play. Um, for me personally, I'm six five. Uh, a lot of my peers around the same ranking are better off the baseline than I am so uh, I've had to develop that strength as much as possible and I guess the better I'm serving the better I'm going to play um, and I, I mean I've kind of embraced that aspect of my game and uh, I just wanted to I, I've written I think four or five articles on different things with the serve and um, yeah just what I've learned I wanted to wanted to put it on paper 
Yeah, case in point will be a conversation. I gave you some homework, some clips to watch. Juan Carlos Ferrero, the difference between someone like him and Andy Roddick. Andy Roddick in a two out of three set match had that serve to turn to. It's why he was able to hold so consistently, uh, consistently even if sometimes the rest of his game left a little bit to be desired. But we'll get to that conversation in a second. Uh, for you, in terms of working on your serve, because every coach will tell every young student, oh, you can work on your serve as often as you want. Uh, you get a basket of balls, you go out there, you serve them. That's what you can do. Is it really that simple? Is that something you have done throughout your career? Yeah, it is. But at the same time, you've got to be doing it the right way. Um, you have to be. You have to have the fundamentals down and uh, work on the right things. If you're if you're putting in a million hours into um, doing the wrong things, then it's obviously just not going to get any better. Uh, you're going to get really, really good at being very mediocre. You know, uh, efficiency is the key there. So as long as you have the basics down and, and um, you know, all the different aspects of the serve, then you should be able to get better at it if you, if you put the time in. So in your opinion, what does it mean to practice the serve efficiently? Uh, it, it just depends. You know, if you're going out there hitting a million serves as hard as you can, hoping some of them will go in, that's obviously not efficient. Uh, I've come up with like a few drills that I use to work on mine. And if I can kind of complete those drills and work on them, uh, I don't need to spend an hour or two just hitting serves. That's ridiculous, you know. Uh, that's not the expectation. The expectation is to get a little bit better every day and work on uh, certain aspects of it. So if you're working on your targets, you allocate a part of the box and, and try to hit that. Or uh, if you're working on your kick, there's certain drills that you can do for that. It, it, I think it has to be specific. It's not just about bringing balls out and hitting a million, million serves. Mm-hmm. Will you incorporate serving in all of your practice sessions? I would say to some extent. Uh, definitely even, even me, I mean, I could definitely use some more time, uh, just working on the serve alone. Um, it, it also depends on how I'm feeling. You know, if I'm, if I'm going into a week where it's feeling a little shaky, that might be the time to just go out and hit a few more. If it's feeling great, I just won't mess with it. Uh, you know, that's where the overthinking happens. So. I've, I've had tournaments where I'll show up and, you know, I maybe didn't serve great la- the last week. I'll just take a day, serve 30 minutes, and call it, you know, uh, mm-hmm. just kind of feeling what your body needs and what your game needs. Yeah, and so the first thing you say in your article, improving the serve itself. Uh, in your opinion, you know, what are the most critical aspects of, you know, uh, I suppose employing an effective serve? Yeah, so um, – First serve percentage when you're actually playing a match is huge. You see a lot of the guys on the tour, if they're serving, I mean, all of them are serving pretty big, especially in the top 100, 200. If you're serving plus 60%, that's pretty damn good. You're, you're going to win a lot of matches winning, serving 60% on the court. Um, but, you know, also hitting your spots and uh, different spins, that's important as well. Um, but I think the biggest thing is getting the serve in the court. I, when I'm, you know, I'm, I'm teaching a, a junior, he's got a lot of talent and a, a lot of power. He goes out there and he double faults twice a game. He's serving it as big as I am. But I said, dude, you gotta, you know, take a little bit off serve it 70% and serve it body, big target. 
until you find your rhythm. Um, you can't just go from zero to a hundred, you know? Mm -hmm. And we talked about playing, you know, choosing your serving spots more effectively, but, you know, in your experience, are there times when just a well-placed first serve, even if it lacks power is just better, you know, it's more effective even than the blasted first serve? Yeah, of course. Uh, of course, especially, uh, doubles has taught me that a lot, you know, just getting that first serve in the court at 70, 80% pace is going to win you a lot of matches. So not that you should take off speed because it is important to have speed, but if you miss a few first serves in a row, take a little bit off and um, just get it in the court, make the player play. You've talked about, you know, being efficient, choosing your spots, but how often do you work on variety as well? You know, various spins and whatnot to your different service targets. Variety is something that you can work out of the basket, but I work mostly when I'm playing sets. Uh, just basically mixing it up, keeping it as unpredictable as possible. Uh, I think we've talked about it on this pod before. You know, if I, my best serve is kick wide, I'm not going to use it every time because the guy starts sitting on it and becomes less effective. So the variety is variety to me is basically setting up your serve for the big points that you can use your best serve and the the opponent doesn't see it coming or they haven't seen it enough to be able to put a good return on the ball. Mm -hmm. How would you describe your service grip? Are you slight backhand? Are you a little further? What are you going with? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I'm a little further over. I put, yeah, I'm, I'm a little more open, especially on my kick serve. Uh, <laughs> it'd be almost like more of a one handed backhand grip. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. Are you someone, I mean, I suppose the answer is definitely yes because you're actually good at tennis, but you'll change up the grip depending on the serve? A little bit, but not too much. You don't want to make it, you, you want to keep it as simple as possible, right? So um, That's what I'm saying. Yeah, the, idea of changing, the idea of changing grips to for a different serve, that would just blow my mind. Yeah, that's not, that's not something you really want to mess with. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you're really much. trying to kick it, maybe you... Um, open the open the grip a little bit just to give you that extra spin but i don't know i don't i don't think it's really uh something that most people need to be tweaking with yeah no and i know you're you like to serve volley a little bit but in terms of constructing games around you know the strength of your serve what does that mean does that mean patterns working on that serve plus that first ball exactly yeah the serve plus one so uh you know for me my strength is my serve and then I like taking that backhand down the line so uh, kind of my go-to play is on the do side you slice it wide guy starts retreating back to the middle after the return and then you can take that backhand cross or line um, you know every, everyone's game is a little different but it's important to have those patterns down uh, and practice those so that when you um, you know when you, when you are in a match you can you can execute with a lot of confidence mm -hmm. are you someone who in between points will before the point map out in your head say okay i'm going kick wide then i'm going forehand cross and then i think ball three's going here uh serve plus one for sure i don't know oh, past that it's not too yeah ball uh, three you, you gets a little suspect yeah you can't map the whole point out but uh yeah serve plus one you know you have to be ready to adapt but the ideal um serve plus one should work pretty much every time if you if you get the right ball 
Mm -hmm. And you talk about reading the match and adapting, and this is a topic we've talked about before, but in terms of changing up your locations and speeds throughout the match and just incorporating variety, you know, especially the higher the level you play, how important is that? Uh, It is important because, like like I said, the um, variety is what gives your best serves that credibility. And mixing up those speeds is the same thing, you know? uh, I heard Murray talking about it when I was a junior, and it's kind of stuck with me. You know, you give him the kick, 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 uh, that 125, 130 into the body, all of a sudden it seems like 140, right? So mm-hmm. that's um, that's important, definitely. Yeah, and again, I, I guess my last question for you on this article, and it's sort of flipping gears, but you know, what is your ratio, would you say, that you work on serves versus working on returns? I definitely need to be working on my return more. That's no question about that. But uh, sometimes these turn into therapy sessions. I know, I know. That's true. <laughs> You're just trying to make me better. <laughs> I like it. Uh, no, but you, obviously, with the return, you need someone there to be serving to you. So I should be working on my return more. But it's easy to hit a bucket of serves. Obviously, you can't go hit a bucket of returns unless you have someone there for you. But uh, I try to I try to mix in a few a few reps on the return, at least you know, once a practice a, a few reps. Mm-hmm. Have you ever kicked a, a serve over a fence? Uh, no, I can't say I have. Not <laughs> maybe a side no. fence. I'd lo- yeah, side fence definitely. Uh, yeah. that, and that's a good feeling, maybe with a little miss hit, but. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for sure. You'll take it. Um, Well, again, the article is How to Hold Serve More Often for Pro Tips. All of you can find that on both MyTennisHQ.com as well as on our website, CrackedRackets.com, published alongside of this podcast. I do want to do one more thing before we go, and that is something, again, I teased a little bit earlier. I sent you highlights last night, and I'll tell you my mental state when I sent those highlights off the court. I guess that was earlier today. Again, that shows you my mental state at all times at this point. Um, But anyways, uh, I sent you these highlights of Juan Carlos Ferrero playing Carlos Moya in the 2002 Shanghai Masters Cup, Um, mostly just because I wanted to hear someone else's opinion, and I wanted to talk about this match on a podcast, and I figured, hey, let's talk a little bit about it on a Technique Tuesday, because I think the contrast of styles is what makes it such a fantastic match, and in particular, in the early 2000s, you have that transition time where technology, strings, and the racket frames and the slowing of courts just sort of mesh up perfectly with this generation of attacking style players, players who want to move forward. And it leads mm-hmm. to just some fantastic contrast in style of play in these matches. Carlos Moya and Juan Carlos Ferrero, uh, two perfect contrasts. And I really enjoyed this match. I'm curious, just before anything, what were your thoughts on the match? Uh, well, first of all, the court looked ridiculously fast. Uh, I don't know what you thought, but uh, it looks, you know, to be a very, very fast indoor court. And these two guys who could be typically put in the category of a little bit more grindy, um, especially for that generation, they were both slugging the ball. And every point was two, three balls. You're either in or you hit a winner, you know? Uh, So that was cool to see. You don't see that as much anymore, do you? Like in, in the modern it's it's become so much more slow uh and these guys are so much further behind the baseline returning 
uh, it's just funny. The game's changed. 2002, to me, it doesn't seem like that long ago. I, I remember tennis then, uh, but it's so different looking back. No, and so a couple of things off of that. Part one, the court they play on doesn't have doubles alleys. And what actually impressed me the most is how the match, the court, still felt as large as a usual tennis court, even without those alleys, because of the way Moya would extend Ferrero to the outer thirds. And Ferrero just tracked everything down. I mean, he moved so well. And I apologize, listeners, because I think we're going to talk about Ferrero a couple times this week, and you'll probably hear this comparison once or twice. I like him to the fluidity of Jill Simone, the court positioning of David Ferrer, and the ability to find a forehand like Dominic Team. What do you think of that comparison? Ooh, for Ferrero, that's yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. He's smooth off both sides. So uh, smooth. He, but it's not the Nalbandian smooth because he does have a lot of. Yeah. He, he hits the ball a little bit heavier. Gets, I just say it gets a little wristy with the forehand, right? Sometimes a little it, bit it more. stops a little short or just a little big. A little bit more rotation, I think, on the ball than mm-hmm. than like a Nalbandian or a Hewitt. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I love the way he plays. He's he's smooth off the off the ground. Yeah, it was delightful. And for Moya, it's like everything you think healthy Del Potro could be. Just taking everything early, playing big, moved pretty well for a guy that size. I mean, he's a thick six four. I you know this might be a little you know just judging all Spanish players the same, but it looks to me like just a younger version of Feliciano Lopez. Yeah, he hits the, he hits the forehand so big, or he did. Uh, Moya, he he honestly reminds me of a bigger version, more more aggressive version of team, uh, looking for the forehand so much. Uh, he doesn't hit the ball quite. I mean, yeah, I guess that is a pretty good comparison. They both look for the forehand and just absolutely clock it when they can. So it's cool. Yeah, Yeah, no, Moya played big as well. I'm curious, how do you think they would translate? Because I think, again, the movement of Ferrero, he was so fluid, so good at getting around the court and turning defense into offense. And I think court slowing down would help him even more so just get clean looks. I feel like his game would translate pretty well to today. I don't think he would require an adjustment period. I don't know, if you were to compare Carlos Moya to someone now, for me, it's Carlos Moya is like Milos Raonic if Raonic was good. Um, but I, like I, I, I mean, that's it. Obviously, Milos Raonic is fantastic. But you know, I, I, I can't figure out who Moya would play like who I would compare that to nowadays because yeah, I, I, I just do don't think know if that player seemed, exists. I do. I just from watching. I mean, at least the way he was playing in this match, it just reminds me so much of Team. The way he gets around and hits forehands on basically anything, and. <laughs> I mean, basically from anywhere, he can hit the ball huge. Uh, that's a scary but he, thing. But he moves in too much. He's always, he does. He's, it's he the does. big ball and then I'm in. He's he's way more aggressive than than team, that's for sure. He, he's coming in way more. But just the way they look for that forehand on the ground, and it's such a big cut, you know? And it's such a heavy cut as well. You're right, though. You thought those courts were playing fast? Oh, yeah, so fast. It looks It looks fast on on camera mm-hmm. that's part i feel like the just the definition but um no it's yeah it's so interesting you talk about because i again that 2000s early period was so it was such a transition state clearly in the men's professional tennis and people mm-hmm. who say oh the game's gotten stale everyone plays the same way I now sort of understand what they're saying because 20 years ago there really were some just drastic differences in style of play 
Yeah. Uh, especially 20 years ago with that transition, like you said, there were some guys grinding from the baseline. There were some guys uh, starting to play a little bit more coming in, like, I mean, Sampras and then Roger, uh, you know, so it was, it was a good clash. Now I feel like it's become much more grindy. The guys are hitting the ball huge, but further behind the baseline. So um, not as there, – there are still a lot of long rallies. Uh, mm-hmm. but I do see in the next 10, 15 years, the game switching, going back to that kind of trying to figure out your way and moving forward and finishing points at the net. You can only, <laughs> you can only play so many five hour matches before, uh, you make that adjustment, you know? Yeah, exactly. Now Moya reminds me a little bit of Stan, but again, he just kind of moves forward a little bit more. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's really fantastic tennis. If you could have the service motion of Federer or Sampras, which would you pick? Sampras. Uh, really? I mean, they're they're pretty similar, but for Sampras, a little bit taller, and Sampras, man, his uh, it's the disguise. Yeah, Carew and I were talking about that. We were watching a match a week or two ago. Um, he he puts the toss in the same place every time, and then where he goes just depends on his hand. So it's almost impossible to read. Uh, Roger, same thing, but Sampras's serve was just so legendary. Um, not yeah, that no, Rogers no. isn't, but again, we're we're not. Uh, if you're putting me on the spot to pick, then I'm going to pick Sampras. But I would take Rogers' serve today. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, no, it's not that either of them is anything other than excellent. It's just that <laughs> if you could have the preference. Yeah, I agree. I think I would go Sampras as well. And then I would take the shoulder of Taylor Fritz just because I think that thing is live. Yeah, just Taylor has a live arm, that's for sure. Yeah, so uh, it's interesting. But yeah, all great service motions. Well, again, the article is how to hold serve more often for pro tips. The website, mytennishq.com. Austin, anything you guys have coming up, again, that you want to plug for our crack record? its listeners um yeah we're doing the virtual lessons uh you know we're just trying to get we shot a how to string a racket video yesterday a tutorial uh so that that was kind of fun we're gonna have that up on the youtube on thursday um but yeah other than that just keep trying to produce content and uh get that traction I cannot string rackets i'll be honest i can't even grip them but that's well there you go you gotta time. you gotta watch the video yeah exactly it's, it's uh, and gonna I, be a step-by-step so you can grab your stream machine and follow along just get a, <laughs> a coffee or a beer alex and then uh follow along to my voice yeah oh, that's what i'm doing right now um no <laughs> but again one more time for our listeners where can they find all of your stuff you can find our stuff at mytennishq.com and uh at mytennishq on youtube and instagram Awesome. Well, again, Austin Rapp, thank you so much. The article, How to Hold Serve More Often, for pro tips from MyTennisHQ.com. Austin, stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you again next week. All right. Stay safe, Alex. I'll talk to you soon. Yep, see you. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. 
And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hope you all enjoyed my conversation with my Tennis HQ's Austin Rapp. And again, the article, How to Hold Serve More Often, four pro tips can be found on their website, MyTennisHQ.com, as well as on our website, CrackedRackets.com. By the way, if you haven't, be sure to go check out our website because we have been just rocking and rolling here trying to fulfill all of your tennis quarantine content-related needs. Let's start with the YouTube channel because I can't emphasize this enough. You have to go see the stuff Super Producer Daniel Westoff is up to on there. It's spectacular. And we can start with Overserved, our weekly look at all of the comedy that happens throughout the professional tennis world, whether it be on the court, more importantly nowadays, on social media, the sort of quarantine content we think you all enjoy from them, plus a little bit of a funny spin from us on that content. You can find those weekly videos on our YouTube channel. You can also find our latest edition of CR Classics. Max Rothman and I discussed the 2009 Wimbledon final between Roger Federer and Andy Roddick. It's a classic, of course, and you get to see highlights from that match as well. So for all of us who have been watching all of these old matches from tennis's past, crazy to say that 09 Wimbledon match is old, but I suppose it's over 10 years old at this point, Um, so you know, it's about to start middle school Um, but if you want to go check that out be sure to go check out our YouTube channel and there will be more of those to come, you can hear them in podcast form uh, on our Great Shot podcast feed as well, and then last but not least, our newest podcast here at Cracked Rackets Inside Out, our deep dive look at some of our favorite storylines from tennis's history, our first season of Inside Out focuses on the belt, which is the best American male tennis player throughout the open era's history. It's an article series I wrote at the beginning of my time in Cracked Rackets, and you know it's new and improved now in podcast form. The writing's been edited, further details elaborated on, and of course it got the spin of our super producer Daniel West stuff. We think all of you guys will enjoy that podcast series. You can find it on our YouTube channel as well, but you could find the podcast, the Inside Out podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. Be sure to go like rate subscribe to it and let us know what you think because you will all very much enjoy that first season of the belt and in fact if you need a little bit of help finding that we have included a link to that podcast in the write-up for today's mini break episode so all of you be sure to go check that out and of course all of our podcasts are rocking and rolling right now at Cracked Rackets this podcast day in day out the Great Shot podcast where today you'll get to hear my conversation with Matt Stokowiak and Chris Hallioris putting a bow on the 2020 Division 1 men's college tennis season of course none of us were happy with the way it was ended the way it was taken from us Uh, but there's still a lot to talk about because we learned a lot of things from this year and you know we talked about the recently announced All-Americans our thoughts on that our ideal lineups who we would have from throughout the country playing the one through six singles positions, the one through three doubles positions, all that and more. It's a really fun conversation, a great way uh, to end what is always part of our favorite time. It's the NCAA time right now, and you know, sadly, none of us are going to get to experience that. But, of course, we are always going to be talking college tennis here. That conversation never stops, so be sure to go check that out. You know, Cracked interviews-wise, we have been rocking and rolling. We've got some really exciting interviews in the queue, but right now for you, if you missed any of them, be sure uh, to go check out if you're a college tennis fan. Today's conversation we released with Texas's Elliot Spaziri. We also recently talked to Princeton's Brianna Schwetz about her Princeton Tigers and the fantastic start to their year on the professional tour. I mean, Tommy Robredo, 
Amy Frazier, top 20 players. That doesn't happen very often. We got to talk to both of them. We've also talked to Mitchell Kruger, Paul Anacone, Christian, Claire Liu, Dennis Kudla, Bethany Maddox-Sand, so many more. All of those, again, you can go find on our Cracked Interviews podcast. Please like, rate, subscribe, review them, share them with your friends. It would be much appreciated. We always appreciate the support any of you give, but you know any comments you have on those podcasts, we would love to hear them as well. And of course, feel free to reach out to us, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's at Cracked Rackets. You want to reach out to me personally, it's at Great Shot Podcast. Shout out, as always, to the super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, for the f*** of an editing job that they do day in, day out. These podcasts would not happen without them. Shout out, as well, to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com for all of your tennis shopping needs. Use our promo code CR15. Get 15% off your order and let them know we sent you there. With that being said, for my wonderful uh, guest today, my tennis ace cubes, Austin Rapp, for our super producers, Max Flickner, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Kruskin. You know what we say, folks. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.